fellow fiends. Welcome to another terrifying and delectable episode of Nightmare on Film Street. The horror podcast with zero credibility, but all of the blood, ghouls, and gore. Your puny heart can handle. <laughs> Let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street. I'm John. I'm Kim. And this week, we've gone gaslighting. Both of us. Both, We're both of just us. gaslighting each other. Yeah. Up a storm. Or are we? <laughs> We're not. We've never been gaslighting. I don't know what you're talking about. No. 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 You're crazy. No. Maybe you should lie down. There's a lot of that, okay? In, <laughs> in, in any gaslighting movie. I think any you movie. need to see a psychiatrist. Right? I think you should. One that I, I have pre-selected for you within the circle of everything you're afraid of. Oh, God. Not at all what we're talking about on this week's episode, but like that episode, that arc in Mad Men where she goes to a psychiatrist and he just calls him at the end of the day. Oh. That is so fucking terrible. Oh. But other than TV dramas, on this week's episode, we are talking about 1975's Stepford Wives and 1968's Rosemary's Baby. It is a big week on Nightmare on Film Street. I don't know if you know this, but I have been pushing for this episode for a very long time. This is Kimberly's baby. (laughs) The the gaslighting episode has been so long time coming. Very excited to talk about these two movies. But before we get into it, John, what's keeping you creepy this week? Without burying the lead, something that we actually haven't seen yet is the It Chapter 2 trailer drops today. Uh, Unless you're listening to this on your way into work right now. Good morning. Uh, Chances are, yeah, of course, please do. The It Chapter 2 trailer dropped today uh, at noon. As of recording this, we haven't seen it, but I'm sure it's great. I'm sure we float. Kid, do you have any thoughts on the trailer you haven't seen yet? Oh, I really liked the part where Pennywise returned. 27 years later. And also, the Losers Club, 27 years older. Oh, yeah. They look great. Yeah, you know, the the town (laughs) of Derry, Maine's nothing like what it used to be. Exactly the same. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, if there's a parade scene in the trailer, we were totally there for that. We weren't in it, but we were like standing there being like, oh, look, they're filming the movie near us. (laughs) Let's go for a walk over here. This is so great. Let's go get a beer. That was us. That's basically you it. You can picture that when you watch that moment. Hopefully it's in the trailer. There's a parade at some point in the movie. Spoilers. <laughs> um, but other than that, we've also each been watching our own things on Netflix. Yeah, kind of. I pick- started watching the Chambers series. It's sort of a possession, if I can call it that. A possession story. It seems like a Native American supernatural story. But yeah, it's got With some- With a cult- it's got some stuff. Yeah, it's very vague. Uh, it follows a girl who's, um, she's received a new heart, an open heart transplant from another girl who happened to die in a mysterious and tragic way. And the parents of the girl who died and gave her heart to our main character, they've kind of infiltrated in each other's lives. And the the parents of the deceased girl are well-to-do and they get her a scholarship and they're just kind of infecting themselves in her lives and they're grieving and there's there's all kinds of things happening in that series. Uh, I am not finished yet. It is 
kind of a longer series. I was hoping for more of a mini series. I was very on board at the beginning. It's got some really fun visuals and some very creepy, moody stuff. A couple of the episodes are directed by Ty West, who I really love. He mm-hmm. does House of the Devil. He did Innkeepers. But yeah, it's just it's just getting a little long for me. So I haven't finished it yet. I put it kind of in my to-dos. I'm going to get to it in a few weeks because I do want to finish the story. But I'm just kind of like oversaturated on it yeah we've gotten into some like trippy drug sequences and some dream sequences and stuff and i'm not really all about that especially this far into the story like we're in the final act of the yeah, story stuff needs to start coming together yeah like we need to start discovering and making sense of the thing of all of the imagery from previous like don't give me more imagery <laughs> character wise though i think you're all about that. i love her family and friends the, yeah the, her dad is great well her, her uncle her yeah. uncle who's her, her father figure is great and her boyfriend is great and her best friend and her life like all of the side characters are very supportive and i just love them she's got a lot of cool people around yeah yeah. she's got a great supporting network like if if anybody needs to get an open heart transplant you want to have a family like that around you (laughs) Uh, i personally uh have started but also not finished watching uh, let's try extremely wicked, shockingly evil, and vile. Yep. There's no third adjective to, <laughs> no. or descriptor to that? Okay. Yes, the Ted Bundy biopic with Zac Efron. I don't, I don't know how I feel about I it. I feel that what you've just done there is the entire consensus of everybody who's watched it. Oh, the, uh, uh, yeah. Like yeah. that, the acting is good, it looks good, but what and why are we telling it? Exactly. Um, I don't know why they chose to tell this specific story if that makes sense like Mm -hmm. i do love i do really like the angle where we are mostly following from the perspective of his girlfriend who uh did not know that he was a horrible horrible person but the movie couldn't exist without your prior knowledge of ted bundy Mm -hmm. like but it almost feels like the story they chose to tell would have been greater if it wasn't actually a Ted Bundy story at all and it was about this character that we believe to be innocent through and through. I think that's it. I think if we, we believed need, yeah. in the charisma of this person and at the end you find them convicted and charged with basically death at the end of it like he gets yeah. he gets the electric chair and to believe he's innocent throughout the movie that is a great journey. Exactly. But we all know he's playing Ted Bundy. We yeah. know he's Ted. But and and even if you don't because they don't say Bundy for a while like it's just Ted um with all the press though everybody going into this movie especially with the director having done the documentary series that's also on Netflix like they're being sold holding hands but I mean within like 15 minutes of the movie he is being arrested in a separate state I think he's got a duffel bag full of like rope and and hammers and just like he's got a serial killer kit is what (laughs) he's got right um so you know pretty quickly that he is definitely not the person he says he is. So regardless, you don't feel like he's innocent. And yeah, this would have been maybe great if it was a fictionalized story and you actually had a chance to really get convinced by this guy the way everyone around him got convinced. And then, oh, the carpet was, the rug was pulled out from underneath you as well. Mm-hmm. You don't get it. Um, on the other hand, though, I'm not sure if that's necessarily a big bad thing because the movie was made for people that knew about Ted Bundy. Uh, it was acquired by Netflix, who also made the documentary series. Like, it was really, we've been primed for it, we've been made ready for it, and here it is. 
Yeah, like we're all Ted Bundy experts going into this movie. Yeah. Kind of. Like we yeah. all know more than basically Wikipedia service level. We all watch the documentary. We yeah. know at least six hours of information on Ted Bundy. <laughs> but while we're talking about wonderful, positive things, we do want to take a quick second to wish all of the mothers who happen to be listening to this episode, uh, Rosemary, if you're out there, Happy Mother's Day from us here at Nightmare on Film Street. Thank you for being nurturing and, you know, doing the things that mothers do. Cooking food, tying shoes, dropping kids off at places where they're probably doing underage drinking. <laughs> that is that is 50% of a mother's responsibility. <laughs> oh, that's, that's an angle you don't see too often in movies. Like, the parent who knows what they're dropping their kid off at. She's like, uh... <laughs> Be home by midnight and don't reek. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I want to give a big shout out before we get started to our most recent Patreon supporters, Neil, Wayne, Hallow. Thank you so much. Um, this show would be a nightmare without you. But I hope uh, in the in the, the spirit of giving, you haven't forgotten about mom. Make sure mom gets some flowers this weekend. She deserves it. She birthed the devil. Not you, your brother. Uh, and her husband... As nice as he is, I'm sure he was great to you as a child. He wants to turn her into a friggin' robot. Save the day, stop the madness, and get mom some flowers. <laughs> That'll fix everything. Oh, of course. <laughs> we'll also be doing a live stream for our patrons this weekend. Saturday, May 11th at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. <laughs> <laughs> that was the Eastern Standard Time robot that we got for the office. <laughs> it's coming real handy. I was like, this is never gonna work. When are we gonna need this? It's already paid for itself. 7 p.m. Central. <laughs> it's, off the fr- it's on the fritz. Oh, it's 8 p.m. Central. I'm sorry. Join us 9 p.m. this Saturday uh, for some horror trivia, some maybe some more talk about that Ted Bundy movie that I might finish, uh, maybe some talk about Chambers. We can possibly talk about the It trailer that we maybe have seen by that point. Ooh, yeah. super interesting. Mm-hmm. In addition to monthly live streams, you'll also have access to hours of bonus content over at patreon.com slash nightmare on film street as a small thank you from us for your support of this teeny little show here. And if you didn't know already, May is Folk Horror Month at Nightmare on Film Street's website. We are celebrating all month long with tons of fun folk horror-themed articles and editorials. We got lists. There's tons of retrospectives. It's all going down at nofspodcast.com. And in tandem, we're also hosting a super cool giveaway this month called the Cult of Fiends giveaway. You can enter that. There's over 15 ways to enter. There's tons of cool prizes at nofspodcast.com slash contest. But without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. I'm so excited. It's going to be great. We're going to talk about gaslighting and Rosemary's Baby and super robot women. (laughs) Don't laugh at me. I'm not laughing. You are just, you are so excited and I love that. It's going to be great. These movies are wild. It's going to be fun. What are we talking about first, Kim? Stepford Wives from 1975. In the town of Stepford, the men are getting exactly what they always dreamed of perfect wives, and the dream is becoming a nightmare for the Stepford Wives. A very modern suspense story from the author of Rosemary's Baby. The Stepford Wives about what men can do behind closed doors. Uh, They were telling me about the men's association. Right now, it's strictly men only. Charmaine's changed, Carol Van Zandt's changed, and so have all those other women's club members. I'm getting the hell out of Stepford. Bobby, it's gotten to you now. I just want to look like a woman. And you're not going to leave Stepford either, are you? Leave Stepford? 
our name changed. Carol Van Zandt changed. She's changed! And stop telling me I'm crazy! You see somebody, you get some help, you, you see a psychiatrist. I think the men in the association are behind it. And my time is coming! Where are they? Charmaine changed. Bobby changed. And my time is coming. Columbia Pictures and Palomar Pictures present Catherine Ross and Paula Prentice in The Stepford Wives. Oh, no. So The Stepford Wives from 1975, currently sitting at a 6.9 out of 10 on IMDb, a 69% on Rotten Tomatoes, 2 out of 4 from Roger Ebert, and a 3.5 out of 5 on Letterboxd. If you are only familiar with the 2004 Stepford Wives, which is not a horror movie at all, but is a heck of a lot of fun. Um, I don't like it. No? Okay. It's been a while since I've seen it. But it's got Bette Midler. Bette Midler as Bobby is probably the greatest piece of recasting, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't like the whole vibe. They make it too light and silly. I think maybe the problem is... I feel like The World's End is a better Ooh. adaptation of Stepford Wives than the Stepford Wives remake. Also good on you for not saying at World's End. Like everyone else in the world, we all make that mistake, and that's a Pirates of the Caribbean movie. If it's been a while, or you've only seen the uh, the, the remake, they basically follow the same pattern. The it's 19th- very close. Very, very close. Except for one subtle difference, I think, which we will get to toward the end. I don't want to get into it right now, do you? John, you're the only person on the planet who hasn't seen the original Stepford okay. Wives. <laughs> you being like, if you haven't seen, if you've only seen the remake, like you were the only person who was brought up with the remake rather than the original. All of our moms showed us the original. Oh, that's like so we funny. got our we got our monthly gift for the first time and like a big bag of gross things. And then, and then, the, then the Stepford, Stepford Wives. <laughs> All I got when I was 14 was a copy of Wayne's World and Frampton Comes Alive. <laughs> All right, yeah, so I haven't seen this movie. Come at me. Um, I, I don't know why, and I know that we own it. I know that it's been in the house forever. And I like this movie. So why haven't you put it on? I I'm throwing it. this at you I've here. seen it. This is your fault. What? <laughs> so yeah, full disclosure, I haven't seen this movie. Um, I'm probably showing my cards a little bit every time I say, hey guys, if you haven't seen this movie, I don't really want to spoil it, because <laughs> chances are that means it was the first time I watched it, and I assume no one else in the world has seen it. Okay, fine. The one big difference between the original and the remake is that in the remake, the wives are not robots, quote-unquote, but they do have computer chips put into their brains, so they are still human beings, but they're controlled by a computer chip. I'm going to argue, though, that that movie doesn't even understand its own lore because there's a scene in that movie where Bobby, after she's been turned into the Stepford Wife version of herself, burns her finger and doesn't notice. Yeah. And then she's like melty plastic. Yeah, and then they have like that weird freak out and it's kind of cartoonish. Yeah, so... Doesn't she smoke from the ears at one point? They don't understand their own lore. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Reshoots, maybe. Who knows? They're like, you can't kill Nicole Kidman <laughs> or Bette Midler. But uh, yeah, in the, in the 1975 version, they 100% murder their wives. Yeah, they're complete copies. It's insane. When do you think... So, first question, really. When do you think uh, the husband, Walter, 
knows about all this. Very early on. Do you think he... So, you? yeah, because... See, I think that's so arguable because there's there's a lot in the very beginning. This movie is very kind of subtle and slow and it might be too slow for some people and it's it doesn't have like a high rewatchability so you may not have visited it in a long time. But going into the film knowing the ending I think is what makes this film so entertaining mm. because you get to like stew in the tension of each scene, especially when you watch Walter. Yeah. Because he could have, that could have been a selling point for him. It couldn't have, it might not have been property values. It might have been the fact that he's been emasculated by his wife for so long. Because she's becoming a successful photographer. Like she actually has a talent and he's just some lawyer. And he, well, he doesn't want to be in the city. And he knows that she doesn't want to be in the country, but he loves her. So like, why not? Give you her know, the perfect house. Make it the perfect situation for everybody. Look, except honey, she's fucking dead at the right? end. <laughs> like, I bought you a nice white... Like, let's assume that he doesn't plan on murdering her. It's like, look, honey, I bought you a nice white picket prison. It's it's insane. Like, she does not want to go whatsoever. And it's awful the moment they get there. I could see how this would maybe be a selling feature for him. But I, I think he finds out after he's moved there. Because there's that scene after... He comes home from the... The first meeting at, like, the men's association. Yeah. His acting in that scene is so good. His eyes are filled with, like, this weird kind of, like, dark inner turmoil. And he's Um, just staring into the fire, drinking bourbon. And the weirdest part about that is that he seems so sad. He has to do it. Yeah, but I... I, See, there's there's a lot of confliction in that scene because I think it's also, like, a goodbye. He's almost like grieving the loss of her even though it's his decision kind of thing like there's there's so much weight in those emotions and that's why it's so fucking cool to watch like that's a fucking dark thing to put on film it's a weird scene like i fucking love it because i'm just like let's stew in this this is twisted (laughs) there there is a moment right before that uh where he he meets the woman next door Carol Van Sant, who is like the first Stepford wife we meet. She meets him in like the weirdest way. She yeah, just like and it's so weird too because it's like very light out and it's almost like ethereal. I was gonna like, say that skipping through the field and it's like <laughs> yeah, la la. <laughs> just some perfect wife who shows up and hands him a ready dinner and he's like, oh my god, I'm in heaven now. And she's talking like this and she's got like this mad hip sway. Oh yeah. And uh, she comes off like a, a robot, like yeah. Immediately, you're like, is that a robot? <laughs> Definitely a robot. Like, hey, hon, did you know the neighbors next door have a robot? Robot. <laughs> we should get one. <laughs> and Joanne's like, I don't know about this. So he meets, he takes a dog out for a walk, and he sees Mr. Van Zant, who's just standing at the edge of his driveway. Who knows why? I guess maybe he's checking the mailbox, but it does kind of seem Or doing like, that weird homeowner thing where you're like, mm, grass is creeping in. Better get the edge trimmer. So Walter runs into Mr. Van Sant, and they're just looking at each other like a, hey, welcome to the neighborhood nod. And he goes, your wife uh, cooks as good as she looks. And then he's like, he smiles, nods, walks back into the house. Like, just like that weird exchange. Like, that is the oddest thing to say to somebody. That was a moment where I was like, oh, he knows about the program. He knows that she's a robot. Right? Oh. He's trying to say, Yeah, why would you say that to a stranger? That's, that's the thing. A stranger. I don't understand. Is that the same scene where she comes out to him and they have this like weird embrace and then she just like sways inside? 
No, I think that's the following day where Joanna sees her from like the kitchen window yeah, from yeah, outside. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he just like walks up behind her and just starts groping her. And she's just like, meh. Better go inside now. Gonna make some corns on the cobs. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand why Walter feels like he needs to do this. How do they advertise? In a world where the, there is no internet and there is no like super detailed targeted marketing, how do they always advertise to the guy that's willing to kill his wife? It doesn't seem like anybody who moves there knows about the program, but as soon as they get there, they're like, ooh, yeah, this would be good. I think it's all inner circle thing. Like, there's a lot of, like, affluent people in mm. Stepford. Yeah, it's all probably just word of mouth. Like, oh, I heard such and such is unhappy. He's been staying at work late. And, and then they mm. they tell him about a good deal. And then they talk about the men's association. And then he expresses interest. Like, oh, yeah, you know what? Like, I, I really need to get into some stuff of my own. My wife's doing her own thing. And That's a good point. On On the other hand, it might also just be... That, okay, so there, there is a moment later on in the movie where they go to the water treatment plant and she visits an old ex-boyfriend of hers to see if there's something in the water that's making these women crazy. Because, like, they couldn't possibly, they couldn't possibly want to be like this on their own. Very true. Uh, and he says that if there what there is no chemical that you can put in water that will make women clean their clean their kitchens, make perfect dinners, and have, like, stupid, wild, crazy afternoon sex. And he goes, if there was, everyone would want it. I'd invent it, I'd make a million dollars and retire. So maybe what the movie is trying to say is that deep down, everyone, like every husband wants this. And that's what's scary, I guess, right? Well, and that's kind of like the horror of the movie, because you, you, like I said this to you, like, oh man, if we had the opportunity to have like a super cheap mansion and it was in Stepford, like, we'd probably go for it. One, for the property values, and also two, for the social experiment. Like, <laughs> would you turn me into a robot? We'll see. <laughs> That's horrible. It will be interesting. Let's put this relationship to the test. You're going to put your life on the line for this? Yeah, sure. <laughs> property values, John. As I, long as our dog doesn't end up dead. I was very worried that they killed that dog. And I couldn't figure out why. But it totally makes sense. It does make sense. At first you're just like, this seems petty. <laughs> but dogs, no. Dogs can tell. Yeah, like the dog is essentially the canary in the coal mine for this whole operation. They take her dog away because they're currently working on Robot Joanna, and they want to find out whether or not the dog is comfortable around Robot Joanna. Like the dog needs to be able to to think that this is real Joanna. That is, man, the end of this movie is so fucking dark. We're not there yet. <laughs> Simmer down. So I, I think the real horror in this movie is what they're trying to say is that when presented with the opportunity, none of these men said no. Regardless of whether they're saying every man in the world is like this, it's just that all of these guys, when brought to Stepford, didn't say no. Mm -hmm. That's the crazy part. That's even more twisted. Like, if they go to Stepford not knowing. It wasn't that, yeah. like, he convinced his wife up and left because he's wanted to turn her into a robot for a really long time. Yeah. If, if he was converted in one single meeting, <laughs> that's fucked. That is fucked. And, and it's how do you like, lay what? all that out to a guy in one day? Yeah, and you can't just be like, "What an asshole he is," because then the whole town was converted in one single meeting, yep. apart from like the inner, inner, inner circle who created the town. So and then it's just like men are fucked. <laughs> that is what we are takeaway from this movie. Is. Yeah, but like, how do these guys who all have children, some of which are daughters, how do they go on with that? That is what my, is the end game? See, I think that is the biggest question this movie leaves you with because all of these are nuclear families they all have like you really see when um 
when Joanna is babysitting Bobby's kids and there's like 30 kids running around the house, like they have full ass families. Yeah. Huge families. What happens in 15 years when Stepford is full of young 20 somethings all marrying each other? Those those boys are the sons of the men's association. They're going to want to be part of the men's association. Yeah. Are people going to be okay with their daughters being murdered and turned into Stepford wives because they're too independent? Or are they going to raise their daughters to be docile? Like, would you... I don't know if you'd be okay with that. I guess at some point the, the plan must be to move away from Stepford. But can you move away from Stepford with a robot wife? She's probably going to need maintenance. We no, saw Carol so. Van Sant freaking out. I don't know if it's it's to move away from Stepford. I think it's to just constantly expand Stepford until Stepford is all of America, maybe. Like that's probably you shouldn't be having kids because you're like if the Well, see, I think the daughter's <laughs> question is never addressed and it's Well, I, I would assume that these guys, uh, when their kids grow up, would lean back on, well, it's a woman's role. You've created your family. Now you just need to tend to it. Like, your job here is done. Yeah, I guess that's the same kind of thing in Mormonism. Like, you don't grow up Mormon, and then, like, when your daughter's of age, be like, get out! Get out! <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> yeah, like, you just you just let it happen. Huh. That's twisted. That's it's even all more fucked. twisted. It's That's all so twisted. Fucked. It's twisted to kill your wife, but then it's also twisted to raise a daughter for her to be, to be killed. slaughtered. Well, yeah, because in their mind, all it is, their only use, um, and I'm putting that in quotations here, is... Um, is to make babies and take care of the home. They are essentially like, make babies and then be servants. Oh, to... Fred, you're the master. Oh, that is so fucking funny. <laughs> <laughs> the king. Like, it, it's never the same thing twice too, right? And guaranteed. Oh, Frank, it's Frank. <laughs> Frank, Fred, You're whatever. the champion, Frank. Yeah, you're the champion, you're the king, you're the boss, you're amazing. Like, it just keeps going. It is so fun. I don't know how they left the house. Like, I would have just stayed. I would have been a fly on the wall every afternoon. That's I would have so came back. That's so awkward, though. Yeah, that's crazy awkward. But it's fucking hilarious. Especially, too, later when they're walking around the pharmacy and they see that she's, like, this, like, 20-something blonde, yeah. beautiful, gorgeous woman, and he's this balding pharmacist. And they're like, wait. Do you think they gifted him that wife? Do you think he made upgrades? They all made upgrades. Yes, that's true. They right? all made upgrades. Yeah, because when we see Robot Joanna, she's... She's gone from well like, endowed. Yeah, she's gone from like a B to a D cup. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. And even um, like Bobby. The the interesting thing is that they actually do love their wives, which is interesting. Like when Bobby is finally That's converted, what they say. <laughs> um, best friend Bobby. Bobby's my favorite character. She's, Bobby's the best. She's got so much personality, and she's very funny and very quirky. And like whenever Joanna and Bobby hang out, I'm like, I want friends like this. <laughs> and then you realize they have 800 children. And you're like, wait, never mind. Um, <laughs> yeah, but they bond over more than just their children. Like the fact that they have children is like an afterthought. They almost. bond on being free and being like the only people in this town who have brains. Not brains, but like independence and independent interests. They have ambition, yeah. And yeah, and... Um, being outcasts almost. So they're these fun like rebel girls and you love them. And then when Bobby changes, when she's in her kitchen and Joanna sees her for the first time and she's become this like cooking, cleaning housewife, she still kind of sounds like Bobby, even though she's got completely different values. But she still kind of sounds like Bobby. She still has a bit of that Bobby personality. Yeah, which is inter it's, it's so interesting because like, they're actually replacing the women they love. You know what I mean? Like, it's still a version of her. Mm -hmm. It's not her because they want to change the values of this woman, but they still want the woman they fell in love with. Like, they're yeah. not just all getting Pamela Andersons. Yeah. They're getting... 
Yeah, I, I want that wives. smart, intelligent, funny, ambitious person, but I also want her to give all that up and just like clean my kitchen. Yeah, but they're going through so much work too. Like if, if they were just all going with a base model with minor upgrades so that like, you know, like passersby wouldn't be like, hey, why do all these women have the same nose and eyes? Mm. They instead, they're like drawing these women. They're doing perfect 3D models of them. They're getting all their voices exact. They're making sure that they learn um the spatial familiarity with their own bedrooms and stuff. Like, so fucking weird. Yeah. But they, they could very well just be making base models. They could be making iPhone 6s of these women. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. And just updating the facial plate. But they are actually making different... Because it takes four months. Is that how long it took? Yeah. Yeah. To, to make a new version of a wife. But I, that's so that's interesting. That's so interesting because men are fucked, but that they still love their wives. That's the every time you say <laughs> that, I'm just like, they don't love them. Like, they don't love them. If they loved them, they wouldn't do this. Like, that's that's not love. Like, I, I see what you're saying. They're attracted to them, is what it is. They're attracted to aspects of their personality and they're attracted to their features, but they don't love them. They sure as shit don't love them. They did. Maybe that's maybe that's what he's mourning, really, when he's sitting in front of that fire. Like, he's mourning the fact that their life, as it was, is actually already dead. Like, the woman I loved isn't the woman I want anymore. Mm. Or, like, I don't love her anymore. I think they do love them. I, it, it comes down to the fact that they're, they're emasculated by them. Yeah. They're yeah, because they all seem like we don't intimidated get... by their ambition yeah. and their their want. They've already done the the wedding, the house, the kids. Mm-hmm. This should be the point where they should be satiated and ready to bake and clean. But it's, yeah. instead of what they expected their wives to do, which is ready to slip into that role of like, okay, my life is winding down. Mm. They're instead like, okay, what's my kids are going to be growing up? Uh, what's my life going to be about now? And for Joanna, she wants people to remember her so she gets into her photography and she wants to make a name for herself and and he wants to settle down in the country yeah and like her vision does not fit with his but this is something that you should discuss when you're fucking getting married that's the other thing right i, I don't think people talked enough before getting married yeah because that like, happens a lot how now. many kids do you want like oh 3.5 <laughs> and 3. then they, but, but what about after that the average yeah like what are you gonna do after that? Are you guys are you guys gonna retire to Florida? Is yeah, that the from dream the age for both of, of you? Thirty like, to eighty? Like, what's gonna happen? Like, is if all you do is talk about how many kids you want, you have figured out uh, like the first few years after yeah, marriage. Yeah, you've figured out till forty. Yeah, <laughs> at best, at best. Ugh. This is maybe the scariest movie we've ever talked about. Oh yeah, no, it's definitely the darkest, right? Like it's these are two of the darkest movies we've ever talked about, and it's only because like you really there's no gore, um, there's no crazy over the top violence, but its subject matter is so so pitch black because it it's way too real. Like obviously they are fantastical and this stuff doesn't exist and whatnot, but it taps into just like the the darkest parts of human nature like this is where horror is the is its best same with sci-fi when you can take something in humanity and just just twist it just enough so it's like you're looking through uh, and like an odd pane of what am i trying to say here like you're looking through the looking glass like it's just a little obscured it's so very close to your real life mm-hmm. but it's um 
It's just like a darker version of it. Yeah. I love it. Well, I think it's also just one of the first films that I've ever seen and maybe ever that's depicted the typical American dream as not the epitome of life Mm. and presented this... I'm looking at this particularly in the eyes of women, but in general, that maybe the giant house, big lawn, big floppy dog, kids running around playing with the sprinkler as not ultimate happiness. Okay. And as somebody who's never grown up kind of wanting that and seeing that on the screen so early in um, kind of women's rights and all, and all that stuff. You're talking about the 70s, you mean? Yeah, okay. I think that's so cool. And to see that presented in a horror movie, obviously that's so up my bag, but <laughs> it's there's not a lot of discussion on not wanting the American dream and ambition, especially for women. Yeah. Um, and it's it's cool to see pushback on that so early. Even now, like you're still expected. Like a, a lot of times I get asked like, oh, when are you guys going to have kids? Not like, are you guys going to have kids? Like, yeah. That's fucked. That's <laughs> fucked. It's the expectation. Yeah. And it, like at our wedding, I was asked that. Mm. I was, we were like early 20s. Like, I'm, I don't know. I'm going to Disneyland in a week. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, funny. Yeah. We still get asked all the time. I get asked by people my age. And whatever. It's just weird. It's very weird. Um, I I just think it's really interesting to see a movie picking away at the American dream because not a lot of horror movies tackle that specifically. The the family unit is a big part in horror and it's a big part in film, but picking away at those foundations and like what what the individual people within that could want and how how compromises are made or not made Mm -hmm. is Something really scary. Yeah, it's nuts. It's a good fucking movie. Like, um, it's a great movie. And when we get to the end and we finally see Robot Joanna, she's horrifying. So scary. And it's not even just because, like, she's got pitch black eyes. It's, maybe it is because she's got pitch black eyes. I have no she's idea. She's not done yet. <laughs> yeah, she's not done yet. But it's it's the fact that, one, knowing that it takes four months, it's been going since she's been investigating it and trying to figure out what's going on. It's been happening since day one. There's been no stop. The train has already left the station and it looks so much like her. It's so fucking scary. And it's kind of fucked that these guys don't even kill their own wives. Like, I know that is a strange thing to say. They get their robot wives to kill their real wives. Yeah, it's like you can't even do your own dirty work. Like, yeah. after all is said and done, you can't even do it yourself. Everything you're doing is horribly evil. And just that seems the most yeah, evil. Yeah, like, like killing like, your wife at the end of this is terrible. But, like, the fact that it's the robot doing it. Yeah. This is, like... You guys are like little rats. <laughs> I, and I think that was a great touch for the movie because if he had have strangled his own wife and they he brought in a have robot the, wife. He doesn't have the balls though. No, like I he hate doesn't. to say that, but he doesn't. Yeah, because the closer we get to this, like even in the, the night where he's supposed to take her over to the, he the big house. He fucking sucks at it. Yeah, he just gets drunk because he's a big fucking baby. They all seem to do that, though. Because oh, that yeah, other guy, Bobby's husband got, like, was it Bobby's husband? Somebody got obliterated, and, and you saw them briefly in the car, and they were, like, a blubbering mess. I think it because was. Because it was, like, wife die night. Yeah. <laughs> it, like, he couldn't even drive home. Yeah. I think that was uh, the tennis player, Carol? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Charmaine. Charmaine. I think it was Charmaine's husband. 
And they're like, we're putting in a pool. And yeah, like, and he's just laughing his fucking head off watching them bulldoze down that fucking uh, yeah, that tennis court. Bitch, your wife loved tennis. You couldn't even let her keep that. Like, fine, replace her with a robot, but make sure she still loves tennis. You make that robot play tennis. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, he's just a, like back on the husband being a douchebag. Because I feel for this gaslighting episode, we need to talk more about the douchebaggery. Mm. He, she runs upstairs and she locks herself in the room and he's banging on the door for like 15 seconds. And then he's like, ah, and he goes downstairs and calls in the troops. Oh, it's bad. I think one of the the shittiest things he does in this entire movie is where she's freaking out and she wants to leave. And he's like, you know oh, what? Yeah, you're, you're right. Because they, they'd had a, a fight the night before. So he comes in and he says, you know what? I, I, I didn't ask you before we moved here. I didn't get your opinion. We should move in August. We'll move in August, right? Is what he says. Yeah, and, and like in all of our heads, we're like, she's gonna be a fucking robot by then. Oh yeah, by the end of the week, she's gonna be a robot. We're not making it to June, but and and he's it's all lovey dovey and everything's great. And then basically the next day, he's like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. We're not moving. We're not gonna walk away from equity like that. Like, oh man. Well, and this is where the real gaslighting comes in because then he he says that she needs to speak to a psychiatrist, and there's tons of psychiatrists at Stepford she could talk to. Mm. Obviously, she wants to find her own outside of Stepford. She finds a woman. She's lovely. She has really great advice. Unfortunately, it doesn't work out for Joanna. No. But him being like, you need to get a therapist and stuff. And you're just like, oh, I've got some rage watching this. Yeah. And she's amazing in that scene. And the craziest thing is you don't really see her. It's all just kind of emotion from her. Yeah. Uh, Because she is sitting on the couch with her head in her hands. We don't even see her. Uh, throughout the entire scene, but she just doesn't want to fucking look at him anymore because, like, she can't believe what's happening. She knows what he's doing. She's onto his game. She knows every play in his book. Um, oh, she's the best line when she talks to, to the... To the therapist? Yeah. Oh, man. it's it's It had to have been in the trailer. It had to have been in the trailer because she doesn't want... She's talking with the therapist, and she she knows that what she has to say is going to sound... Crazy. crazy and she just can't get it out because it doesn't make any sense the only person who understood even though they didn't talk about it with like real words was bobby and bobby's not around anymore yeah so she says if i'm wrong i'm insane and if i'm right it's worse than if i'm wrong boom oh man that is so good that is horrible <laughs> like that is uh there is there is a pit of despair this character gets dropped into and she does not leave it it is rough yeah and you know i have to say i'm so happy that you know the dog's okay in the end that's true in the uh the remake i think they turned the dog into a robot also and they have like a robot dog running around yeah so christopher walken's character in the remake Mm -hmm. and i guess glenn close uh, did he work for Disney? Did they get away with saying that in the remake? I don't know. Because that is, that's awesome for this movie. Like, oh shit, this is the dark side of the Imagineers? Like, I love that movie. But this also came out in a, in a time where it's, it, it, oh my God, Disney could do anything. People thought they were fucking magicians. And we had movies like Westworld as well coming out. So to have somebody come from Disney with this technology and implant it into the real world, I thought was fucking great. I also think it just presents a really great metaphor for Stepford. It's like a theme park for men where all of the women are these perfect, you know what Mm. I mean? Like you're going to Chuck E. Cheese and you're watching the performance of the robots who do that pizza dance. You know what I mean? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yep. 
Thank you. <laughs> yeah, like there's something really poetic about Disney is this pristine, perfect thing. But apparently there's like 30,000 like cats that live on the property of Disney and it's to eat the rats. And then there's those alligators in that lake. Like Disney's, To eat the cats. Disney's got... <laughs> Remember that kid that got eaten by an alligator? What? At Disney? Was I there for that? No. I remember it somebody climbing like the pyramid. A couple and... years ago. Nope, do not remember that. I got swept under the rug. Yeah, it was at a it was at one of the hotels, like the theme. Oh, hotels. I do remember that. And there were signs that said like "Don't swim," and then the, the kid was swimming and he got ate, eaten by an alligator. Yep, which remember. is like a terrible thing to happen on your vacation. You know, being eaten by an alligator is terrible any time. Any of the day year. of the week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, um, when she sees Diz, the and she asks him why he's doing it. The uh, the explanation he says, the explanation he gives her is because we can. This movie would pair great with The Strangers. That's all. That's that's really what I'm trying to get at. Uh, this would be a weird double feature with The Strangers. Yeah. I guess it's kind of almost as nihilistic. Mm. It, that scene is also interesting, too, because it's he almost gets her to not agree with it, but just to come to terms with the Ooh. fact that, like, it's time. She knows what's happening. He knows what's happening. And, like, let's just go now. You know your place. Like, to resign herself to her fate. And it... Ugh. That's rough. One thing that I think is a little interesting in this movie... Uh, which we don't see in Rosemary's Baby, which we're going to get to in a minute, uh, is, and they're, they're written by the same person, so I think it's just maybe a directorial choice. Uh, we do have moments of this movie where we slip out of character perspective. Like, we are with Joanna most of the movie, but occasionally we get these glimpses where we're just sort of a fly on the wall for different scenes, especially with the men's group. I know it would have made for a slower of a burn uh, if it was only f for what Joanna saw, but I think I would have liked that more. I didn't necessarily like seeing like what the guys were up to. Like that that moment where he's driving that distraught husband home and we see that like, oh, this is probably the night where he killed his wife or what they're talking about after she leaves the room. Mm. I would almost want just to follow Joanna, checking on the kids, coming back and hearing just like the last seconds of a conversation that stopped abruptly when she entered the room. Yeah. There are some great moments, though, where you, you see just enough to, like, fucking scare you. Like, one one point she leaves the house and the husband and Walter lets in the entire men's association into their bedroom. That is a creepy scene. And they don't really say anything. Like, they all walk in. One guy sits down. They kind of just take a look around. And then they leave and he brushes his butt print off the bed. Mm. Yeah, because I think what they're trying to... They're trying to map out and make sure that the, the room they've made in the mansion for the robot to train in is is exactly the same. Ugh. They give her a fucking dictionary to read and she actually reads it. Like, hey, uh, I like accents. If you could just read every word in the dictionary into this microphone for me, that'd be great, thanks. And I was like, there's no fucking way she's doing that. Cut to 40 minutes later and she's like, zebra, the xylophone. Yeah, but they made okay, a compromise because she wanted that women's club and then it turned into an ad for that like easy on or whatever. Oh, that's right. Okay, my mistake. I'm surprised she did it. And knowing maybe this is in the book, I don't. Okay, you know what? This is how you. This is how you fucking do a sequel for the Stepford Wives. She gets turned into a robot halfway through. This movie is on fucking fast forward. But what they don't know is that in that microphone tape, she was reading in words like arcane that none of the other robots know, and she was slowly able archaic, archaic like <laughs> some of the other robots don't know, and she was slowly able to infest ideas back into that robot. She starts a fucking robot revolution oh my god and then it's right? like westworld season two yeah pretty cool that would have been good 
I would and like she's that. like, let's start a women's club. <laughs> and they're just like, women's club? We didn't teach her that word. Oh, God. And they start, like, baking brownies with swears in them. <laughs> <laughs> you got to fight them from the inside. You got to take them down. <laughs> that would have been great. That would have been awesome. And, uh, the, and there's the key, right? All they needed was some education. They took education away from these women. Like, they, they took specific words away, and it helped mold them into something else. And that's what's so interesting about Bobby's scene when after Bobby's been turned into the robot and Joanna stabs her in the kitchen. And it's almost like, I think you suggested that she had like cut her circuitry or something. Yeah, something, But yeah. I also think it's because she's not programmed to be violent or to understand violence. Or to react to it. Yeah, and she gets in this weird loop where she's throwing coffee everywhere. But it's so creepy because she's offended but it's like this weird surface level offended. Like if somebody mm. said the wrong thing at a party, because that's as far as I think these women would have to go. It's a really crazy Because they're scene. only putting on enough of a ruse for these for newcomers the at social events. Oh, that's so true. Because they don't care what the what they what they act like when the newcomers aren't around. Exactly. Oh man. So I was just thinking, if she's not programmed for violence, and that's kind of what circuits her out, do you think Carol Van Zant's husband is abusive to the robot? Do you think that's why she keeps short-circuiting? Because he, like, punches her and stuff? That would be really interesting if they had have delved into that. That would be Because, fun. like, if you wanted to be abusive to, to, towards your wife, like, it would only make sense to make a robot wife. Oh, man. Speaking in, like, crazy-ass, like, <laughs> dystopian movie terms, not, like, real life. I've got like, no other choice. If I keep punching this one, it'll die. If I hit a robot, I can get a new one tomorrow. I think she's just an early version. Like she's. Oh, you think he was one of the she's first. She's an that older came. robot, maybe. Got it. Oh, it's, maybe it's also the alcohol. I don't know. It's weird because they eat and drink and stuff. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I would really like to read this book. Definitely. Like a hundred percent, like to read this book because yeah. I, I, oh, I, I hope the ending is is from the perspective of Joanna, like as a robot. I would love to see that tonal shift, man. That final scene is wonderful. It's such a like a great final shot, especially because you kind of end on a bit of a cliffhanger uh, when Joanna bought versus Joanna with the, the cord or the sash or whatever it is she's going to yeah. strangle her with. And then you have them all walking and being like their robot selves. And it's such a bleak and like beautiful ending for this. It's so nuts. So what's your rating? Uh, I'm... I think I'm gonna give it a four out of four. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I don't really have anything to knock this movie on. I love. Normally, I'm not big on '70s movie pacing, but it works so well for what this movie is trying to convey, and it's to get under your skin mm -hmm. and knowing what happens in the end, which is inevitable with this movie. Like Stepford Wives has become part of our language now. Yeah. Like we use Stepford Wife as a term. That's a really good point. So in watching the movie, you you're like aboard a really slow moving train wreck and like there's so much emotion in every scene because you know how it's gonna go i think i'm gonna i'm gonna give this movie a 3.5 out of 4 just for some of that pacing and yeah I, I would really like to see i would have really liked to have seen this movie solely from joanna's perspective um but it is so much better than i thought it was gonna be and mainly because i've only ever lived with uh, the the remake, and you feel like you know everything about this movie, but it is really, really fucking good. Like, mm -hmm. It's so dark. I did not expect it to be this dark. I just thought it was going to be a fun little horror movie. Uh, but it is 
very serious. And I a lot of that comes down to, I know we're wrapping up here, but the fact that Bobby and Joanna are these fully formed women mm. and you really like them. Really, really like you them. You really are rooting for them. And to see them each going down like one pin at a time, it's so sad. It it's hurts so... when Bobby becomes oh. a robot. And you know it's happening too because she's going on that vacation. And you're for like, a few don't days. go, don't leave, don't go. <laughs> oh man! Like, and the whole end of this movie where we are in like a thunderstorm, which seems so out of place for such a Pleasantville. Uh, it it all works so great because that's where we get the reveal of Bobby. That's where we see the men finally turning and where Joanna confronts her robot. It's it's in just this dark, rainy thunderstorm. It's oh, it's great. It's kind of perfect for transitioning into this New Yorkie film we're about to New Yorkie. <laughs> we're about to talk about where it is bleak and gray and brownstone. Let's talk about 1968's Rosemary's Baby. Hey. Let's make that. presents Mia Farrow in a William Castle production, Rosemary's Baby, co-starring John Cassavetes, Ruth Gordon, Sidney Blackmer, Morris Evans, and Ralph Bellamy, written for the screen and directed by Roman Polanski from the best-selling novel by Ira Levin, suggested for mature audiences. So Rosemary's Baby from 1968, currently sitting at an 8 out of 10 on IMDb, 4 out of 4 from Ebert, 99% on Rotten Tomatoes, wow. and a 4.2 out of 5 on Letterboxd. That Rotten Tomatoes score is fucking high. High. Real high. Yeah. Rightly so. Also uh, written, adapted from a novel written by Ira Levin. Both of them. Stepford Wives and Rosemary's Baby. Makes sense. Tonally, these films are about crazy fucking husbands. I don't know what The Sentinel's about, but I think it's also about somebody watching somebody or trying to manipulate somebody. So going into this movie, I do have to say, mm. off the fucking get-go, from the fucking get-go, from the fucking get-go, the coloring. So this movie is really bleak and it's got that gray, brownie, and it's soaked in city colors. Despite being mostly interiors. But the font, the title card, and all of the credits, the opening credits, are that pink color. Yeah. And the poster, I don't know, I'm sure you remember, is that deep, like, greeny aqua. Such good coloring. Yeah, it's great. The best fucking coloring of all time to do the pink. They could have just done the aqua color for the the title cards but to use that pink color because where else does that show up in the entire movie there's no pink in the whole movie yeah like oh there's a there's a red bedspread that's about it and maybe it's the fact that it's a baby i don't know but it's a male baby that's true i guess it's rosemary it just looks fucking great who cares why they did it yeah it looks wonderful that haunting goddamn score at the beginning too like it's Mia Farrow, right? It's it kinda, is Mia Farrow. Yeah, Farah. I figured as much, yeah. Yeah, and th- I thought about that the whole time we were watching it. I was like, is she actually singing this? She is. Because she's supposed to be lulling a baby. 
it is so good too, like to have that like okay so i'm a big fan of title cards coming back at the end of a movie but having that score music, that yeah. music come back at the end of the movie is an exclamation point on the end of this film because at the beginning it's like she's wishing for a baby and at the end she's rocking a baby to sleep and it's like we'll get i i, I guess we'll get to it but well and also lullabies are about falling asleep and there's a lot to do with dreams and sleeping and trying to sleep soundly and being well so i think a lot of the movie is rosemary singing herself to sleep kind of thing and i think she's also maybe telling her a lullaby about her own future like she wants to get married she's got this great husband they're Mm -hmm. gonna have a baby they're gonna be happy like it's about the life that she's dreaming she'll have and then of course you know a third of the way through the movie uh we are told very quickly this is no dream. This is real. Because it feels like we're entering a dream at the beginning of the movie. Like, that building they move into could be, like, Suspiria, right? Like, it could be a dream. And, you know, when... I love that building. That building is great. And, what you know, once things start getting bad, you start telling yourself, oh, no, 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 this is just a dream. Everything's fine. But then you realize it is your reality. Um, there, there's, there's a lot in this movie about dream sequences and just your dreams personally. Uh, and you, what the lullaby is meant to represent and what it can do. And I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm always blown away by this movie. I'm always surprised how much I like I this know. movie. I know. Every single time it's a surprise. And you're just like, okay, going into it, you're like, yeah, this is going to be a seen good this movie. Before, yeah. And then it just captures you because you are, they're adorable at the beginning. Like, you know, Guy is going to turn he's, out to be a huge fucking asshole. Because he's a little bit and of he, a prick he right He kind of is a prick. But then there's cute moments like the first night that they're in the apartment and they're sitting on the floor and eating takeout. And like there's some fun little banter between the two of them. And there's some cute compromises being made and how they kind of deal with the push and pull of like when they first meet the Cassavettes and they're invited to their house for dinner. Like there's some interesting relationship stuff. And so you want to watch them more and just like sitcom style their relationship. Mm. But the problem is once they meet the Cassavettes, John Cassavetti's guy, the, the character, becomes a completely different person. As soon as dinner is over, he is no longer the man he once was. Yeah, he has to tell him that first dinner, right? Oh, because oh 100%. Rosemary and Minnie are washing the dish- dishes and when she steps into the living room they're in this tight conversation at the chair that kind of breaks up and yeah the, the look on Roman's face uh is very like he's got a nice smile like he just oh he just delivered a good punch and it's like, a little shitty and grin kind of yeah thing. he's got a shitty and grin yeah. and guy is sitting there really like oh man like thinking about what the offer he was just given and you know sort of something that i was complaining a little bit about with the stepford wives we only get that because that's what the room looks like when rosemary walks into it beforehand all we see are two billows two separate billows of smoke coming out from chairs that are against the wall so she's she's drying dishes and it's boring and it's she doesn't necessarily quiet, and it's very quiet so but we quiet. know they're there they're like right by the door but they're hushing to each other because there's a conversation happening they don't want rosemary to be part of but the fact that she like the smoke coming in is, is so great and also like where there's smoke there's fire and like it is oh, gonna God. be a that's fucking... so smart <laughs> there is gonna be a goddamn problem that's I'm, so good i like this movie a lot can we talk about the old lady that used to own their apartment before they moved in Yeah, because I always forget about her. I always just assume, like Terry, it was another young girl who the cult was trying to take over. Especially when they find that note. uh, Like, I can no longer associate myself. And the wardrobe over the door. Yeah. But I think maybe she wanted out. 
I think so too. I, I think everybody in this movie lives in that building, right? All of those cult members? I'm sure because everything is kind of architecturally designed for this cult to exist within the building. Exactly. There is a very specific reason that super heavy wardrobe is in front of that closet. And that's because it is a secret compartment to the Cassavetes apartment. Sorry, compartment and apartment are too similar. My brain But there's also a secret hallway too where there's a whole lot of... Uh... Or those are just paintings that they put back up after. Yeah, and yeah, she yeah. was saying that at dinner, too. Like, it's really odd that they took all these pictures down because mm-hmm. they can see all the wear marks of everything. Um, but yeah, that, that wardrobe, which it's supposed to be a little eerie. Like, how could a frail old 90-year-old lady move that wardrobe? I think it's because she needed to. I don't think she got anybody to help her. I think she just mustered the strength to do it because she no longer wanted to be associated with the satanic cult. Mm -hmm. And I can no longer associate myself with these evil people, I think, is essentially what we're trying to get at. It sounds like there was something in her mind maybe taking her over, and that could possibly be true. Or she didn't want to be part of the second part of this ploy where they were going to like bring about the son of Satan. But you find out too that she also used to be the one that brewed this herb because Mm. she had an herb garden. So she was almost like the gardener of the cult. Yeah. And Minnie's had to take that over. I don't get the I get the impression she's not good at it. Do you think all of her cooking sucks because she's putting stuff in it? Oh definitely. Most things are drugged I'm assuming. (laughs) She also just doesn't yeah until the end of the movie like oh it's just regular tea you can enjoy it. Yeah it's just Lipton's. Oh thank you. Yeah it's just just Lipton's. (laughs) She earned that fucking Oscar right? That's such a great part for humor though because that's such a dark point in the movie and that one line of like humor is just like oh right this is supposed to feel like real life. Yeah she's the worst. Did you recognize the real estate agent at the beginning of this movie? No. The real estate agent is the homeowner of the house on Haunted Hill. Oh! Like, you know, at the beginning, like, those floating heads that appear? Like, the last time they found me, my brother was dead and I was babbling. Like, he's one of them. Uh, and then Vincent Price as well. But, yeah, he's he's the guy who owns the house. And Like, the nervous guy? The really, really nervous guy, yeah. And I think it's probably because he's friends with William Castle, who produced this movie, who bought the rights to the book and wanted to direct it himself, but they wouldn't let him because they bought it they got the, the rights before the book was published I believe oh wow and the, this is his Ira Levins this is one of his biggest novels mm-hmm. this and obviously Stepford Wives so like fuck good find <laughs> yeah real good grab I would have loved to have seen what that William Castle movie looked like but it probably wouldn't have been anything like this and I'm happy with what we got okay so biggest thing about the movie I want to talk about completely took me by surprise and I do not know how I didn't remember this or didn't find significance or importance in this the first dream sequence the very first dream sequence yeah not quite a dream sequence but the first dream isn't it a dream sequence Uh, sort of the way it works too right because we're watching her on the bed and then we go up to the wall which is adjoining it's on the wall yeah now I remember when we were talking about the exorcist um, and you said that it was the best dream sequence of all time and how it captured being a dr- what dreams are like. I'm going to argue, now that I have watched Rosemary's Baby, okay. that this is the fucking best depiction of dreams. Lay it on me. It's got that layered, the dreams that you have when you're falling asleep and you still have some lucidity. Okay. Where... The things that are around you, like the sounds coming from the apartment next door, mm. work their way into what your subconscious is stewing up. She has these dreams, obviously, that she's she kind of always has. There are these, like, boat memories that she has or these vague things about being on a cruise and being bitten by a mouse. Yeah. <laughs> and 
current events filter on top of them. This this dream comes right after Terry, the the young neighbor that the Castavets have taken in, has committed suicide. Yeah. Rosemary only met her briefly in the basement of the laundry room where she finds out she was an ex-drug addict and the Castavets have taken her in and they're wonderful and they're very nice. They, they're like her new parents, blah, blah, blah. And then she commits suicide. But... When you listen to the audio while Rosemary's dreaming during that first dream, it spoils the movie almost. What is it that they say? They say that they shouldn't they shouldn't have told her, right. thinking that she would have gone along with it. Because she's hearing a conversation happening next door. That the cast yeah. of Vets are having, but you're too busy watching this weird dream sequence and that the mouths aren't matching what they're saying. I don't think I've ever listened to it before. Yeah, and while that's happening, we're watching, um, it's like a Catholic school where they're bricking up the windows. Like, And there's, the, the, the voices that she's hearing next door are, are coming out of nuns that are talking directly to her. Yeah, and they're talking about why Terry has killed herself. Yeah. Do you think that she's also playing off a memory of being in Catholic school where somebody jumped out of a window or fell out of a window? Maybe. Yeah. I guess it's not necessarily important. Yeah, I think her dreams are all, like, distorted memories. Mm -hmm. And then you also filter on top, like, when she's having the drugged-out moose dream while the big cult thing is happening. Yeah. She's remembering something shameful. Mm. um, Because she said she grew up Catholic, and I think this was, like, a big moment where she was supposed to meet somebody important, like the, the archdiocese or whatever it was, and she couldn't because she got ill on the trip there or something. Okay. And it's interesting that that is the dream that's being overlaid with all this Satanism stuff. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's the last time she's she's done something shameful in the eyes of the church, even though it wasn't really that big of a deal. Yeah, she just let them down. Yeah, and uh, if we want to cut ahead to that the dream sequence she's having uh, when she's like half knocked out on, on the moose... Um, and she feels like she's floating and we're watching the bed floating across the river like it's a raft. It looks so good. So great. And it's really bizarre because she's she's definitely remembering parties and being on a cruise where there were a lot of people around and she was maybe uncomfortable. As they're undressing her, she's remembering being in a bikini and then she's maybe remembering a time where somebody took a bunch of her clothes off. Uh, and then she wakes up. No, I think she's lucid enough that she knows somebody's taking her clothes off. And it's just happening in the and dream. And it's happening in the yeah. dream. Okay. Because she also wakes up enough to see everyone standing around naked watching Satan fucking rape her. It is nuts. Do you think Satan freaked out when he saw that she was awake? Um, no. He's Sat- probably into it. He's probably fine with it. Fuck, that's such, oh, such a weird scene. So, yeah, it's like he can conjure Satan. And Satan doesn't hang around. It's weird that Satan doesn't stay. Satan just, like, shows up, impregnates this woman, rapes this woman, and then goes back to hell. So, worse than the the Satan raping Rosemary, the absolute worst thing about this is when she wakes up the next day, and she's got scratches on her arm, and fucking Guy says... Oh, yeah, it was me. I guess I shouldn't uh, clip these nails. I didn't want to take advantage because... So, the reason they they had this romantic dinner, and then Minnie brought over the moose, which drugged Rosemary, Mm. it's because they were trying to have this, like, moody, romantic, sexy night, because they'd written on the calendar that... Rosemary was primed for baby making and yep. they only had this two day window in which to 
copulate. Mm. And so we did it anyways while she was passed out. And that's his excuse for why she's waking up all groggy and scratched up. Yeah. And she, like, even just without being scratched up, she remembers that he had, he took advantage of her anyway. But, like, what really bothers her is that he took advantage of her. He that is the weirdest kind of gaslighting ever. I don't even know how to, yeah, this is so like you, fucked up. Like, you lie about Satan rape with your <laughs> own rape, but it's fine, because we really <laughs> needed to try to have a baby. Like, that is so many levels of fucked up. Like, where do you even begin? I and didn't think Satan rape like, could be made any worse. But <laughs> Guy is... Th- the biggest monster in this movie and for a movie with satan in it guy is the biggest he is monster. the worst person <laughs> he's so awful and he's disgusted by her he wants nothing to do with yeah her. because well he's more emasculated by her after she's carrying the spawn of satan he's kind of disgusted by the by what she's carrying like when the baby starts kicking finally and she makes like she's he does makes not want to touch it big celebration about it because she's felt so sick and she was really worried about the baby and it's been like months and she's not gaining any weight and one she looks amazingly sickly we'll talk about that yeah but she gets him to touch it and he's like oh yeah he's like Ooh. i'm gonna clean up from this party and he's like, which is so great because it's during that entire party he's really trying to put himself between her and anybody else to, that wants to talk to her about the pregnancy so it's like hey 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 the pregnancy's mine the pregnancy's mine and as soon as anybody leaves he's like i don't want i don't want to touch her i don't want anything to do with her that's that's also a really interesting thing because from what i understand very true to real life like how you have women with postpartum depression you have men that feel emasculated i guess is maybe the word for it during the pregnancy like they always talk about like oh men have these doubts and like you're not really a father until you see your baby for the first time and that's actually apparently very true it's not uncommon for shitheads to cheat on their wives while they're pregnant and like maybe they try and say like oh i'm not getting sex at home but it's actually just that they resent the pregnancy and it's probably also because like oh i'm not the center of attention for nine months um, and you i know can't what it might it. be though is that they are excluded from all the wonders of what pregnancy is like that could be it. feeling something growing inside you and feeling like connected to the baby immediately and you're sharing nutrition and you get to feel the heartbeat and kicking and stuff and men don't really have any apart from like oh yeah we're gonna listen to metallica (laughs) (laughs) yeah so yeah psychologically they feel disconnected from it yeah because you don't get any hormones or any benefit of pregnancy women get like amazing nails and hair until you see it and then evolution's like we're gonna make that baby look just like you and you're like oh my god it looks just like i'm gonna keep it (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna keep it isn't that the weirdest thing how babies will look like the father but then eventually just grow to look like whatever they want i love that yeah it's so weird we're such animals human beings are strange yeah like the evolutionary science or traits or whatever it is i think all that stuff is fun like when you hear that women can smell the sweat of their partner when differentiated from like 12 different shirts of sweaty men they're like oh yeah this one's like they all stink but this one's his (laughs) or not even like this one's his but just like they all stink. or this one's sweeter yeah yeah, this one's not that bad like of the shitty like all of of the all of the awful shirts this one's the least awful like well that one's your husband's like that's why or your apparently it's the same thing with gas too like smelling farts oh yeah (laughs) which is which is crazy like no one should (laughs) no one should know what another person's farts smell like everybody knows what another person's fart smells like. bad that's the only (laughs) description anyone should have oh man what's the name of that japanese movie is it is it thirst 
where this guy is in love with this girl. I think it's a vampire movie. He's in love with this girl, but she's like enslaved to this other family and the family's weird and like mom smells the boy's farts to like, oh, you you've had too much iron today. You Okay. It's a vampire movie about farts? It's not about farts, but there is a character. He's in love with a girl who's essentially like... Fell in love with a fart. <laughs> <laughs> Fell in love once and you know it's stinky. Okay, moving on. Back to Rosemary's Baby. Let's stop talking about the Japanese fart vampire. Um, I hate <laughs> guys so much. Every time we watch this movie, I hate him more and more. Oh my god. And you know, I didn't think I hated him that much. Like, I, You knew he's a shithead, but... Yeah, you're just like, yeah, he, he, for the sake of plot, he has to be a douchebag. But one of our contributors, Jessica, wrote a really great article around New Year's. We were trying to do an anti-smoking post okay. about horror movies that will make you want to quit smoking or horror movies about smoking um, to kind of scare you into not smoking. Like a fun little New Year's resolution post. And Guy was on our list because he's always fucking smoking around Rosemary. Now, I know know this was a different time. Like Rosemary drinks a bunch in this movie. Like pregnancy rules were not the same. But you realize like all of the shit he does around her is just like, awful there is he's just a low-key asshole yeah there's that scene where he comes home and hutch is there their previous landlord and he comes to sit down at the table and just brings an entire carton of cigarettes and upturns it on the table like empties just a dozen packs onto the table like anyway cigarettes anybody like he brought (laughs) crackers (laughs) well there's just a lot of things too like after he gets his dream part and oh yeah um his rival goes blind He's rehearsing for this big role most of the film. So a lot of times when we see Guy after this, he's so invested in this part. He's skipping around on crutches because obviously this character is on crutches. Mm -hmm. He's so self-involved. Yeah. Rosemary's going through the hardest pregnancy of her life and he is too busy with this fucking role. She looks dead. She looks like she's she dying. She does look dead. And then you know you know how he fixes it? He puts roses in all the rooms. Like one time. One time. Like, maybe go buy your wife some cake because she needs to gain about 90 more pounds. (laughs) Yeah, or the baby's going to eat her. That's what it's going to come down to. That's probably what's happening. What do you think is happening for the first bit? Like, I know, sure, it's It's like this this demon baby. (laughs) That's, That's all I got. But it's almost like as soon as she's ready to go switch doctors because she ends up with the Satanist doctor, mm-hmm. Dr. Sam Samperstein. She wants to go back to Dr. Hill, her initial doctor. But as soon as she's about to do that, all of a sudden, like, the baby starts kicking and being a normal baby. Do you think the devil baby was like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. <laughs> Better start gaslighting. <laughs> Better start gaslighting. <laughs> Just a normal baby in here. Look at me go. Kick, kick. Yeah, Heartbeat. You're, you're crazy. <laughs> sugar, please. I, I don't know. Apparently, like, that's the thing. Sugar. I don't know why she drinks that drink from What's-Her-Face. I would have stopped drinking that drink immediately. Yeah, it takes she her waits... a long time to suspect the Cassavetes. Oh, man, a very, like, okay, maybe, okay, sure. Maybe the Cassavetes have her best interests in mind. But she's, the only thing that's changed, other than pregnancy, uh, is that she's been drinking this nutritional drink, and she feels like death. That would have been the first thing I stopped doing. I would have stopped having that nutritional drink week one. It takes her four months to start putting it down the sink. And I wonder if, I wonder if that drink is supposed to make her like that. I wonder if she only gets better because she starts eating more regularly. Because it sounds like she, she had some sort of, she had some sort of sugar. And I don't know though, because she's, it might just be a trimester thing. Because at the beginning, she's eating a lot of mostly raw meats and like. Oh, there's that weird weird scene where she's eating like that congealed blood. Yeah. So she, I think first trimester, it needs 
protein or meat or raw meat. And then the second one, maybe it's sugar. And she needs to do it in the right order. And that's kind of why Minnie is controlling her diet. Maybe. Because I think if she was having like natural smoothies, she would be getting a lot of sugar versus Minnie's like milky egg herb drink. Right? Yeah. But regardless of the son of Satan science... Pregnancy, what to expect when you're expecting the son of Satan. (laughs) What do you think about Hutch? Hutch is the nicest guy in the world. He is like the bearer of truths. Yeah. (laughs) He's also just a super awesome landlord. They come over to say we're moving and he's like, let me make you a turkey dinner. I don't think he's their landlord. I think he's just their friend. You think so? Yeah. I think they were living with him. Mm. he was helping them get on their feet because they were this young couple. Okay, I, I, I guess I was under the impression that he was their landlord. I think they were saying landlord tongue-in-cheek okay. kind of fashion. Got it. All right. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Because they don't really have... Yeah, they don't have a whole lot of stuff because they buy all that furniture. Mm-hmm. Good point. Real good point. All right. Well, Hutch is a super nice guy. He lets them live with them. Uh, he constantly comes to check and see how she's doing, and he believes her. Moment one, believes her. Also, doesn't he warn them He's about that building? He's more suspicious. Yeah, he like, says something about the building being shady. Oh, yeah, there's somebody. Cannibalism. <laughs> I knew somebody who killed somebody in the, in the lobby or something like that, That's right? a murder house, that is. <laughs> yeah, you don't want no murder house. <laughs> but yeah, the super nicest guy. I have uh, in my, my two notes back to back are, Hutch is such a nice guy, smiley face. And then immediately underneath that, oh, poor Hutch, <laughs> sad face. Because as soon as he tries to step in and help out, he is taken care of. Yeah, coma and then death for yeah, Hutch. Yeah, that's right. They couldn't get his tie, but they sure as shit got one of his gloves and he is dead. He doesn't meet her for lunch like the next day. Which is crazy how quick Guy is ready to be part of this cult craziness. I, I don't think Guy stole that glove. You think Roman did? Yeah, because Roman comes in, says hi, and then leaves. And like, oh, no, don't get up. Don't get like Right? Roman's there, isn't he? Yeah, Roman comes in. Yeah, I think Roman is the one that steals the glove. Because when they go to leave, Hutch can't find his glove, and that all he needed was one personal item. And, uh, oh boy. It's so disturbing how um, much they infiltrate themselves into their lives. And also how good they are at it. Yeah, like when Rosemary's trying to meet him and then Minnie shows up and with the book and everything, like Minnie is just like in there. She's the worst. Minnie is the neighbor. Neighbors, from hell. <laughs> yeah, she's the neighbor from hell. Neighbors like Minnie are the reason you don't ever say hello to your neighbors. Like I don't mean to be an antisocial person, but I'm just saying... It's not a risk worth taking. You will occasionally have the greatest neighbors. But sometimes you just wind up with these people you got to talk to all the time. And you just don't want to talk to them. Like, let's let's take all the Satanism stuff out of it. Do you really want an old lady to show up and, with her friend, invite herself oh and her God. friend and to they your apartment knitting. to just sit and knit? Oh, Ugh. and then give you a dead girl's jewelry? Come on. And the fact that she knows it's the dead girls, they're like, come on, put it on. Put it on. I love that accent. <laughs> Oh, man, she's awful. She's like, okay. Oh, I love uh. it. Yeah. <laughs> and th- why does she keep wearing it? It smells so bad. It well, smells so bad that people comment on it. Like, oh, you're not you're not wearing that stinky cologne today. Perfume. At, at first, she's she believes in it. She wants some good luck. She's pregnant. Everything's going to go well. Yeah, right. Guy's got his dream part. They're going to be happy and successful. Yeah. They have people looking out for them. She's got a great new doctor. Who apparently one of the best doctors in the city. Because he sold his soul to the devil for it. I mean, if that's what it takes. (laughs) What do you think Minnie and Roman sold their souls for? I don't know. I think it's just servitude. Like, because by the sounds of it, uh, Roman's father was a Satanist. Like the leader of the group. 
So he grew up into it. I think it's just to have Satan rule the world. Also, they go to, we cut away quick. So there isn't a moment of anybody going like, did he just say what I think he said? At the New Year's Eve party. Because they're all drinking champagne. Clock strikes midnight. But he's he goes, like, the year is one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Happy 1966, everybody. The year is one. You're like, well, the year is one. What? <laughs> Because <laughs> I, even I, I don't think I ever noticed that before. It's just like, that's all fucked. That doesn't make any goddamn sense. But on the other hand, oh, this is just an old person. Like, may, maybe that's how you excuse it. And I think anytime he says something weird, he personally could explain it away as like, oh, I was in Madrid once and they said it. I thought it was nice, so I brought it back home. I hate how much he talks about going to different countries. But so you know he's evil at the end. Because when Rosemary solves the Scrabble puzzle, we all realize that he is the son of the son of worshipping the devil. <laughs> is it like Marco Sarcata or something like that? Steven Marcato. That was close. That was all right. I love anagrams in movies. They're never as climactic as you want them to be, but like, damn if you're like, ooh, I mean, that solve one was the good. anagram. The, the problem with this is that when we saw it for the first time, it had already existed for like 40 years, right? 30 years, however old you were when you first saw it. So I think you already know everything about the movie. You're just watching how it plays out. Mm -hmm. So none of it hits as well. Um, yeah, but, we're just here for the gaslighting. We're not here for the mystery. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's formulaic, like, uh, not formulaic, but like it is really calculated, this whole movie. Um, everybody does a great job of making... Rosemary thinks she's crazy. And I think that what they can kind of lean on a little bit is that she's never been pregnant before. She doesn't know what to expect. This is all normal. Which is interesting because surely to God, if you're pregnant and your body is doing a bunch of crazy weird shit, you're going to be stressed out and worried all of the time. But everybody around you is saying, it's okay, it's normal. But you're like, I don't know, this doesn't feel fucking normal, right? Yeah, well, and like that that whole like, oh, you've got baby brain. Like, don't you fucking belittle me. <laughs> <laughs> These are my hormones and I'm going to own them. <laughs> yeah, oh man. Well, and the, the isolating that they do of her. When Rosemary finally has that party, because she's mm. just like, I want to hang out with people who are under 60. Her she, friends look like fun, by the her way. Her friends are cool and yeah. trendy. And you're like, oh, right. The, this is a young couple that's moved to a brownstone in the city. Like, they are hip. Rosemary was so hip. And she tries to get her hip hairstyle. And everybody's like, oh, Rosemary, you look really sick now. <laughs> <laughs> but she's young. And she's got her cute little outfits and, like, but then she's pregnant and all she wears is that blue house coat. Yeah, and... She gotta hide her monster. Ooh, uh, yeah, and her friends her friends are never around, and I'm sure it's just because Guy doesn't want them around. Yeah, it's because they're isolating her. Yeah. You know what's the saddest part, I think, of this whole movie? And maybe a great commentary about women and being believed and kind of like the, the metaphor of the film um, is when she finally, finally goes to see Dr. Hill yeah. and she sounds like a she sounds like a nut. Now she does I, sound like a little I'm going to totally agree that she sounds like a crazy person. But then Dr. Hill, who's this completely non-involved party, this non-biased character who we've been hoping for him to come and save the day on a white horse this whole movie even though he only had one appointment with Rosemary. Yeah. He tells her to wait. They're going to get check her into a hospital. She can deliver her baby in a safe spot, away from Guy, away from the Satanists. And you believe him. He looks like such a genuine dude. Yeah. And despite he, the mustache. Well, yeah. He's just trying to get this pregnant woman in, in despair from, like, having labor out on the street and, mm -hmm. like, doing it in a hospital. So she lies down. She has a nap. He calls her doctor and her husband. Yeah. And, the two people he should definitely not call. And, you know... <sighs> I, I have a hard time 
in not saying that that if this movie was remade today or if this situation even delu- in a delusion sense happened today that that wouldn't happen oh i think that would if everything in the movie had to be updated for a modern retelling i think that would still stay yeah and it's complicated because she sounds like a nut bar yeah and what she's saying is crazy she's right but she sounds crazy yeah he's not her physician so it kind of makes sense for him to call her physician and maybe her husband who's she's kind of in his primary care right now she's not in her right mind but then also like did he have to lie to her (laughs) i guess he didn't want to keep her against her will and he didn't like he didn't want her to do anything I don't know. I don't know what the right move in that situation is, but it's so uncomfortable and it's so upsetting. Yeah, what is the right move, right? Because if you driving are... her to a mental, I was gonna say maybe, yeah, because then at the very checking least, checking her in for twenty four hours. Yeah, she's in the hands of other medical professionals that aren't the medical professionals she's worried about. You know what she should have done is she should have shown him that prescription bottle that the yeah because the doctor snaps it up he, yeah immediately yeah. puts it in his coat i think that would have been the straw that broke the the lie kind of thing yeah like what the fuck is that like how did how does she carry a prescription to the general store and say hey i need my satan pills please like <laughs> what the fuck are they yeah um because whatever it is it's what she wasn't getting from the milkshakes now yeah yeah yeah, for sure tannis it's, root it's totally not like um the right Prenatal, prenatal vitamins. vitamins. It took us so long to think uh, of that word. We were both like, uh. <laughs> Fuck, yeah. That's such a difficult scene. And it, it, it like, eh, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. And it's not like, oh, men are bastards. They don't believe women. Like, but it kind of feels like that. But it's what also, else is this but she also to sounds do? fucking crazy. Yeah, because he doesn't, he doesn't know anything about her. She, all he knows is she got pregnant, she made an appointment, she, and then he hasn't seen her for like eight months, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then she shows up and says, people are trying to kill me and Satan is inside me. And it's just like, okay, well, I mean, we're, we live in the real world. This kind of stuff doesn't exist. So he also, even if she is kind of being crazy though, he also should take some credit in the fact that she is afraid of her husband. Yeah. At the very least that. Yeah. Like say he could have said to her, you know, this sounds really far-fetched. I haven't seen you in such amount of time. All I can offer you is to take you to this facility. She probably would have I won't fine call your that. husband. You'll be in there for a good 24 hours and you can convince somebody there and la la la. Like, if I was in, in Rosemary's situation, that would be a best case scenario for me. Like, oh, yeah. I can be locked in for 24 hours and put whoever I want on my call sheet. On like, the other hand, the one person that would be able to check her out would have been her husband. Let's be real. Not if you check yourself in, though. If you check yourself into one of those facilities, you are in there for 24 hours. Yeah, nowadays that's true. Yeah. I don't know if that's the same back then, but oh, yeah. that scene is the it's the bleakest point of the whole movie. I don't know why we put I put Dr. Hill on this pedestal like he was going <laughs> to save the day, but the whole movie I'm like, call Dr. Hill! She saw him once! And maybe it's just because I want this poor woman to like see somebody who's not a Satanist. Yeah, you think that... Marry Dr. Hill! <laughs> everybody outside of the situation, like her friends, they see what's going on and they know that it's wrong and weird and crazy. Yeah. So to put a doctor who's outside of that situation to see that it's wrong and weird and crazy would surely step up. One thing I think that's really, really effective about this movie is how the ending plays out. Uh, I think the ending's fucking great. I think everybody loves the ending. But what what they're really smart about, it's not that we don't know that they're Satanists. We we know or at least suspect that. Maybe they could have done a little 
they could have, ah, you know what? They stretched out long enough for us to suspect whether or not it's real. And I think it's fine if we know halfway through the movie that they're definitely Satanists. Because then we start to get into, like, the gaslighting stuff where we're seeing how they're all against her. Mm-hmm. It's not that she's suspicious anymore. It's that literally everybody is against her. We start to think, or at least she suspects, that they're going to take her baby from her. Yeah. Because they use the blood and flesh of babies for sacrifices and spells. Which is how she finds out that they're definitely the people that killed Hutch. They're the people that uh, drove that other actor blind because they had a personal item of them. Fun fact. Mm-hmm. Do you know who the the guy is that went blind? The guy that went blind. Uh, I don't know. His name's... Uh, oh, that's who you... Okay. No. Um, At his, one point, Rosemary calls him. His voice was familiar. Um, uh, Jack Nicholson. I don't know. He worked with Roman Polanski on Chinatown. Maybe it was Jack Nicholson. It's Tony Curtis. It's Tony Curtis? Yeah. That's crazy. I thought it, and I was like, no. But yeah. So the ending, we think that they're taking the baby for some sort of sacrifice, and they really punctuate that by the baby being born, and a guy telling her, everything's fine, baby's okay, it's a boy, blah, 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 blah. She goes back to sleep. Because, okay, cool. Baby's safe. Everything's cool. I can rest for a minute. She wakes up again. Guy's gone crazy crochet lady sitting next to her and we find out when the doctor comes back in that there were some complications Complications. which is quote like code for baby's dead you're not gonna see it fuck off and then they have the fucking audacity to have the baby crying near the wall like yeah how do they not know that these walls are paper thin they fucking built the place and then they're like, oh, new tenant has a baby. <sighs> so dumb. Guarantee those walls are paper thin on purpose because they want to hear what's going on next door. But do they not realize that it's not like a two-way mirror where like, oh, they, they can hear us. We can hear them, but they can't hear us. Doesn't work like that. I know, because at one point, Rosemary hears chanting too. And they're just like, oh, yeah, what's his name? Plays the, the clarinet. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's super early on too, the chanting. Mm-hmm. I It's weird. I don't remember seeing that ever before. Like, if that was in a movie now, you'd be like, oh, yeah, Satan, Satanist. for sure. Satan. 100% <laughs> Satan. There is a point, though, that after she's delivered the baby and they keep her bedridden for a while and um, they're taking her breast milk. Oh, yeah. It almost seems really drawn out. Like, Rosemary, come on. Like, let's get going. But I think she's just trying to regain her strength. Like, she stops taking the pills that they're giving them and she's hiding them. But... At this point in the movie, we're just like, come on, get to the scene. I want to see the demon baby. Exactly, yeah. So she goes through the closet, which we've already established uh, when she thinks she's locked herself in her apartment that people got in. We don't know how, that they got in through the closet. So she she takes the shelves out. She pushes the door. And when she comes into the Cassavette's apartment now, she sees all the paintings that were taken down. Mm -hmm. She sees what that apartment looks like on a regular day. And it's just full of satanic imagery everywhere uh, including busts of her or portraits of of his father the scrabble guy steven maracato no steven is roman oh my mistake yeah it's senior marscato <laughs> Good job. but yeah the whole the whole club's there including a, a japanese fellow who i think is probably there to photograph the baby he's very interested in his camera <laughs> and um just not a great move they should have done that but uh and and uh the blackest of, um, what do you call those things? Bassinet. Rockabies? Bassinets. There we go. Baby stuff. Cradle. Cradle. The blackest of cradles. <laughs> and that's where you have that iconic moment where Rosemary like leans into the cradle and then she's like, what, what have you, you done, done to his, his eyes? eyes? It's good. Good, good job. Yeah. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> yeah, we nailed it. It's in um, stereo. <laughs> 
And that's what I was getting at. Like, they, they do a really good job of making you think that they are taking the baby for a sacrifice. And, and it isn't until there, when we get into the room, uh, that we realize the baby is actually Satan. I think everybody... Son of Satan. Son of Satan. My mistake. I think all of us going to watch that movie are familiar with how the movie ends. We know Rosemary's baby is the son of Satan. But just from a story structure perspective, if you don't know any of that and you're going in completely blind, it's great because we assume that they're taking the baby to kill it. Um, and it's even worse than that the entire time. This baby that she's been taking care of, that she was growing fond of, that she talked to. Well, that she that wanted she to protect from the coven. Yeah. Or the Satanists. They were already embedded in her like she she already had evil inside her like no matter what she did uh, if she got away and and swooped into like new hampshire and delivered the baby herself it would still be this evil thing Mm -hmm. which you think about it too like if she had gotten away and had that baby and realized it was evil she wouldn't have known how to care for it like she might have had to have come back to the apartment right damn it seems like it's like any other baby no, it's a devil baby. Well, yeah, it's a devil baby, but it still takes it like her breast milk. It still wants to be rocked and cradled and lullabied by its mother. And he even says to her, like, he needs a mother. Be the mother to him. You don't have to join the cult. Just be its mother. <laughs> Which I think is weird. I love that. I, I love that too. Like, it's so perfect. And then we end on that lullaby, just her hushing it to sleep. Oh, it's so good. God is dead. And Rosemary's just like, be a good boy. Yeah. <laughs> Please be a good boy. With then then she's her whole life going to be like nature versus nurture. Let's see what we got. <laughs> right? There we go. There's the Rosemary's franchise. We could have seen that that internal struggle. Uh, and then finally when mom dies, the baby goes full evil and takes over the world. Uh, Ira Levin wrote a sequel. No shit. In the 90s Ooh. called Rosemary's Son or Son okay. of Rosemary. <laughs> How'd it do? Well, I don't want to spoil it, but it's like, it's got another anagram. Oh? Uh, (laughs) Really? Well, it turns out, like, Rosemary was in a coma from, like, the 70s on, and then when she wakes up, he's evil, and la la la. Ah, the old convenient coma. And then, uh, it was all a dream. No! Yeah. And she comes, and then it's, like, her and Guy, and, yeah, it goes back to before. and, And then, like, somebody says the, the anagram from the whole nightmare she had and she realizes that it was like a warning that this could happen. Huh. But it go like the end of Rosemary of son of Rosemary is the beginning of Rosemary's baby. Damn. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, I'm sure it sold a bunch of copies. Most of the book is them exploring like this grown up son. So, I okay. mean, you are getting what you paid for. <laughs> yeah. But it goes to such a, but then it's place. like, we're just not going to touch. Yeah. It was, <laughs> that sucks. Oh, well, so ratings. Yeah, um, I'm going to have a hard time writing this. I'm going to go four out of four. <laughs> I'm also going four out of four. It's so well done. The story is fucking cool. And the portrayals are really great. Like, Rosemary is such an interesting character. And Guy is such a fucking prick. Yeah. And I the mean, Cassavetes. Like, ev- everybody is so great. And you don't see everything about them. You are The entire movie is the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, because all the time, too, you're guessing what what guy's involvement with the cult is like did he just make a deal is it this one-time thing is he gonna be a cultist and how embedded the cast of vets are in this pregnancy like every time anything happens to kind of derail this it's like he almost runs to them for guidance or for assurance or what to do next well i think it's because he's worried that if if something goes wrong 
he loses everything, right? Because he also comes to her at the end, like, "Oh, it's okay, it's great. You know, we're 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 gonna go to California. I'll, I'll, you will have Hollywood's those babies. I'm gonna day. give you yeah. those babies. We're gonna be happy. And like they said that, you know, we would do this and everything would be great. And you wouldn't get hurt. And I mean, like you haven't been hurt, not really, right? Like You're it's like, like, fuck oh. you, buddy. <laughs> He's the worst. I, I completely forgot about when she comes into that room for the first time and she. This movie sees is him. like the most fucked up and decent proposal. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, he indecent proposaled his wife and didn't tell her. To the devil. To the devil. Oh, man. She didn't even get a million dollars. Well, I guess he's going to be famous, but get her something out of the trade, maybe. Or just her memory erased would be nice. <laughs> oh, man. But also, just like, why are you going to make it the, oh, Satan wants to reign you know, on Earth and we can make you uh, we can make you a Hollywood actor if you want that. Like, ooh, Satan. So Satan's real and will destroy everything. Yes, I'd like to be an actor. Like, like do you forget the- get- <laughs> ETA on how long Hollywood's gonna exist. Is it 50 years? If 50, oh, you kidding we're me? Good. You, you guys kidding me? Have... Satan's on Earth? Hollywood's gonna reign forever. Yeah, you're gonna bring kids into that world? He is such an idiot. He, uh, yeah. Well, everybody, all of the guys in these movies are fucking idiotic. They are definitely stupider than they are assholes, but they are huge assholes. Yeah, the biggest. Four out of four assholes. <laughs> Oh, man. If you haven't rewatched Rosemary's Baby in a while, definitely give it a go because it is... It's so well done. It is. Like, the dreams... You know, I'm not one for dream sequences, and I'm normally like, oh, another dream sequence. These ones are short. Yeah, they're short, but they're interesting because they they feel like real dreams, and you have to work to figure out what you're seeing and what's actually happening because the character one has been drugged and is kind of sleeping, so... Yep. There's... There's so many layers to the dreams in this. That first dream, I think, is fucking primo shit. It's great. That I can't is believe some we never remember. A nightmare. Oh, it's so good. But that's just our impression. Let us know what you thought of the Stepford Wives and Rosemary's Baby over on Twitter at NOFS Podcast, on Reddit at reddit.com slash r slash nightmare on film street, and in the horror movie fiend club on facebook.com slash groups slash horror fiends of NOFS. And if you liked this week's episode, we are going to continue the conversation a little bit over on Patreon. We have a uh, fun little game that I've put together uh, about cults and secret societies. So I'm going to put John's knowledge to the test. Uh, if you want to support the show, you can get that bonus episode. You can get, there's hours of other bonus content, swag, merch, tons of stuff there over at patreon.com slash nightmare on film street. And you can get some of that stuff in exchange for less than a dollar an episode at patreon.com slash nightmare on film street. But you can also support the show by leaving a five-star rating and review on iTunes, podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, wherever you're getting this show. Um, Or by telling a fellow fiend, a friend who's obsessed with horror, to check the show out if you think it'd be their bag. We'd be eternally grateful, whether you're a patron or you're just a regular listener. Thank you so much for listening. I'm John. I'm Kim. Stay Stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive. Just long enough to tell the tale of the nightmare on Film Street. Ow! Help us grow the horde. Leave a review on iTunes or wherever you subscribe. Continue this week's conversation on Twitter by following at NOFS Podcast. And as always, more terror 
can be found lurking on our website, www.nightmareonfilmstreetpodcast.com. Until next week, stay creepy, fiends.